Welcome to the Ashtanga Dispatch Yoga Podcast. I'm Peg Mulqueen. This time I'm trying something new. These next episodes will be devoted to one story of how a community moves beyond the authoritarian guru model and away from the kind of hierarchical structures and rules of silence that have allowed for its members to be hurt, ostracized, and abused. It's a story about learning from one another and leaning on one another. One that shifts the focus from rules and dogma to people and relationships, where leadership is shared and all voices heard. Because we are the authors, and this is our story. One that begins today with kinship. I'd rather be calling out than keeping a silent shout. Say it out, say it loud. Be here with me. It just didn't feel safe to have honest conversations, and and that's a that's a scary thing. We have this idea that this big rift happened when these revelations about Tabby Joyce came out, but let's be honest, this has been developing for years, you know, like old school, new school, you know, who was your teacher, like all this kind of stuff. I almost felt like I had a responsibility to be there, like I had a responsibility to be the voice for those of us who have felt like we're illegitimate and felt like we've been disenfranchised. It's a tough time for a community of practitioners. And I think it's actually a fertile time for uh, letting go of what's not working. Just let's get real with this and stop hiding in the shadows and be honest with each other and just get it all out there. Because I'm just tired of holding my breath. What's really important is that we give ourselves permission to begin the conversation and to fumble and bumble and to to begin and to apologize when we need to and to ask more questions when we need to, but to begin, to begin that walk. But I know that this is one of those situations where nobody has the answer. Nobody should have the answer. You know what I mean? Like something new is being born and we just have to be like present to it. You know, and that to me is what kinship invited us to do. It was really beautiful. All the voices you just heard, Erica Morton-McGill, Greg Nardi, Pranadi Varshney, Spiro Antonopoulos, and Corey Sheffer, all participated in a weekend gathering in the California desert last December as part of a kinship initiative. Here's Erica Morton-McGill, who organized that weekend. What I hope to become is this really rhizomatic network of practitioners and teachers that, you know, we are united in our love for this practice. It's not out of anger or fear, it's out of love. And I think that we're really devoted to this collective authorship of the story moving forward and non-hierarchical ways of practicing, teaching, and also sharing. Most of us showed up at the gathering not entirely sure what to expect. 
Erica was the first person to speak, which helped bring some context to our weekend. We're now going to listen to Erica's opening talk. We, as yogis, but really as members of the human race, and even more broadly as earthly creatures, are in the uncomfortable, loud, and crunchy middle of what Michel Foucault might call an epistemic break, which is a radical severing with now outdated ideological conceptions. Foucault also uses the word rupture to describe this concept, which to me is so vivid, like a ripping in the seam of reality, a tear in what's known, a sudden bursting forth. We can't go back. And we can't unknow what we now know about climate change and environmental degradation, about corrupt governments, about virulent hate, about power dynamics and rape culture. In September of last year, 2018, Christine Blasey Ford served as the face of a movement when she testified before a federal committee about the abuse she had suffered at the hands of Brett Kavanaugh. Millions around the country watched with tears in our eyes, a similar story in our hearts. The U.S. president smeared and mocked Ford, questioning her testimony by wondering why she didn't report these incidents when they first happened, in 1982, when she was 15 years old. And despite Ford's convincing testimony, Kavanaugh is now serving a life term as a Supreme Court justice. Just under a year prior, in November 2017, Karen Rain came forth on social media to share how Patabi Joyce sexually abused her and countless others in plain sight over the course of many years. This came as a shock to some. Others kind of knew. Others had known all along, but didn't know the extent of harm and hurt it caused. For some, the news had no bearing on their daily practice or their commitment to showing up, and it deeply moved others. With no overseeing body of Ashtanga Yoga, many, but not all, looked to Sharat, who some, but again not all, considered to be Patabi Joyce's heir, for some sort of acknowledgement. It was more than a year and a half between Karen Rain's first post and Sharat's first and only acknowledgement. And I'd just like to sit with that for a moment. Personally, when I looked up in the direction that I've been socialized and trained to respect, there was no one responding in a way that resonated, that felt kind, generous, understanding, or even sensible. The general timbre and tone was one of grief, denial, anger, excuse-making, shaming and blaming. On social media, conversation was hateful and it mirrored our current cultural practice of calling out and shaming rather than calling in and steering towards healing. On Sharat's tour last spring, I was struck with the authoritarian imagery and a general desire to carry on in silence. The overarching message was to toe the party line. And while Spiro and I are devotional, we're not dogmatic. So we've spent the last months in deep thought, asking, what is lineage? To whom do we give our power to and at what cost? Who gets a seat at the table? What are our biases and privileges? 
How do we honor where we come from and yet stand up for what we know to be right? How can we encourage diffuse and diverse power, accountability, and shared responsibility? But the conditioning of authority runs deep. The residue of hierarchy is greasy and not easily washed away. And on the morning we posted the announcement of this gathering online and shared it with our dearest counsel, I was nauseous and teary. I took my own teacher off the email list and added him back in at least three times. You remember when I said last night that half of you called to say you didn't think you belonged? I called a dear friend who's here today just moments before pushing send and said, what if I'm ostracized? What if I'm alone? It is vulnerable and uncomfortable to step out on a ledge. Yet we are not alone. We have each other. And I know that transformation lives in risk, at the edges of what's been done and what's known. And I know that this is a time for speaking up, speaking out, and challenging the prevailing attitudes and power imbalances. I too have lived through sexual abuse. I was young at the time, and years later I was called on by another young girl and her mother for support and faced my abuser in court. My testimony was thrown out, the jury asking, why didn't she say anything when it happened? I too, like so many women coming forth in all arenas in the last two years, including those abused by Patabi Joyce, have been shamed, ridiculed, and silenced. Our stories parallel the one told by Christine Blasey Ford. A reporter present at the Ford Kavanaugh trials recently wrote, The problem with power is there's no speaking truth to it when it holds all the cards. However, she adds, there is a teaspoon of power in refusing to normalize that which was simply wrong and which continues to be wrong. So I sit here alongside you, naming that which was simply wrong and continues to be wrong. The abuses by Patabi Joyce and the enduring silence and silencing. And to collectively do better. To find a way to refuse to replicate or acquiesce to the structures of power that allowed this behavior in the first place. I found yoga at 17, nearly half my life ago, as a way to cope with the anguish I felt. The bones and blood, nadis, bindu, and prana of the body slowly healed. I believe that yoga can be a space of healing. And I want to, with you, create ethical cultures that maintain physical and emotional safety. And it's not clear to me that we can move in this direction while we maintain the traditional model of the guru over the needs of the community and the individuals that compose it. Douglas Brooks is a Hindu scholar and a constructive critic of John Friend, who says, Enlightenment is a collective experience. We must delegate the seat of authority, the seat of the teacher, each to their gifts and for the benefit of the community. When you've grown up in a house and you've come to love it dearly, you address the creaks and cracks and work hard not just to patch them up, but to fix the systemic, structural issues that caused them in the first place. I love this practice and this community. They feel like the truest home I've known. 
And so I'm not willing to turn a blind eye to its woes. As with any rupture, whether it's a physical break in the pipes of a home or an epistemic cultural crack, there is an opportunity for deep work and repair from the foundation up. Although I don't envision any one of us will do this work or respond in exactly the same way as the next person, I do think that together we can formulate ideas and fortify our tool belts rather than destroy or tear down. I hope to enter into a process of repair alongside you as we step into new terrain, a paradigm shift on the horizon, asking, what do we need to be a healthy, vibrant, diverse, inclusive, and meaningful community? We can't go back. The best way forward seems to be through. So thank you for walking forward with me, for entering into stillness, practice, community, listening, sharing, and learning. This is an important, radical undertaking. This was a radical undertaking indeed. I asked Erica to explain a little more about what she saw in Schrott's tour that made her decide to do this. You know, it was the usual gathering of yogis for a tour, but it didn't feel like business as usual. You know, it, it, felt, it felt to me very different. It felt like a very thin crew of people. You know, it felt like a lot of people were not there. And it felt like a lot was being swept under the rug. That was the week that Magnolia announced that she was not coming back to San Francisco and was leaving Ashtanga Yoga. That caused a bit of a ripple in the Bay Area. You know, she was a a major part of the Ashtanga Yoga world there. And so we all came to this practice session and To me, it felt like there were things that needed to be addressed and that nobody wanted to talk about. You know, it felt very much like, okay, let's just go with the program, you know, stay with the status quo. And there were a couple of things that I I was not very comfortable with. You know, this year, they're uh, replacing the large pictures of Patabi Joyce on the stage were very large pictures of Sharat. And there was a question during conference at one point, you know, a student asked, how do you hold safety in a room? And Sharat didn't know how to answer that. And he said, I don't know what that means. And to me, that felt very concerning because I want to be very careful as we continue this practice, which has historically been top-down and hierarchical. We want to be conscientious of not replicating systems that allowed for this abuse. And so I very much respect Sharat. And I, I'm not sure, you know, I think it would be helpful to have conversations around safety and authoritarianism and power. And I didn't feel like that was going to happen from the top down. Still, it took a lot of courage, because what Erica was proposing flew in the face of the usual top-down model followed in Ashtanga Yoga. Erica and I talked more about what she was most afraid of. It felt very raw, and, 
you know, there were many days where I, I just, I thought we shouldn't be doing this. You know, th- this is too big. I don't know what we're doing. And, and there was just something the whole time that was like, this, you have to keep going. This is what has to happen. Even though I swear to you, it was, there were so many days I was like, I'm just going to forget it. This was, this was a good idea, but it's too big. I don't know. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how. And it was just really remembering that it's okay not to know how, but it has to be done. Just before I pushed send on the email that went out to close friends and teachers and things like that, letting them know that we posted this. I was, I was, I can't even tell you how terrified I was. And I called a friend and I said, I don't think I was still, I don't think I can do this. You know, I, I don't think I'm ready. I don't, I don't know what this is. All of these questions, all this doubting, all of this, just not knowing. And, and, sh- and she asked me that question. She said, what are you most afraid of? You know, and I burst into tears and I said that I'll be ostracized, you know, that I'll be alone. And that I think one of the biggest fears that we have is of being kicked out of this human family of ours, you know, and then within that human family, we have these other families, these smaller families and Ashtanga yoga is my family. And I, I think I was very afraid that I was going to, that I was going too far out on a limb. And she said, you've got me, you've got Spiro. How many other people have said that they're interested in this? You know, I'd been having conversations on the phone and I said, well, maybe five. She said, you've got a, you've got a soccer team. You're good. You know, what more do you need? And she said, just, just send it. You know, you can, you can work out the details later. We'd been working so hard on the event page itself just to answer people's questions that they might have and address the fact that this was both about Me Too and not about Me Too, right? It was about so much more than that. And we just really had a lot of things that had to be ironed out. And it took a lot of, um, a lot of zhuzhing to get there and to really be comfortable sending it out into the world and off to our teachers. That was terrifying for me to send it to my teacher. And in some ways it felt like defying him, you know, even though I don't think he saw it or sees it that way, but it felt like going above my level, right? It sort of felt like I'm, I'm doing something that I shouldn't be doing because I'm just not listening from the top down. I'm sort of jumping ahead of myself and I'm doing something um, that hasn't been granted to me. It hasn't been authorized, right? It hasn't been approved and it hasn't been granted. I'm, I'm doing this. I don't even know why, because I have to, right? And so that was really scary, sending it to my teacher. I was so nauseous. And I took him off, actually. I took him off the list, the email list. And I said, okay, we can send it now. I, I, took, I took him off and, and Spiro said, what is the point of this if you're not going to send it to your teacher? And, you know, I, I burst into tears and I said, but I, you know, what if, what if I'm not loved, you know? And that's such a silly thing because, of course, you know, we're loved not by our actions, but by our hearts. And my heart was really in the right, I think, place. You know, my heart really just wanted um, community and healing and friendship and coming together. But it was very scary to say these things out of order. 
out of line. You know, I would say that this kinship initiative was going to be the biggest and bravest thing Erica had ever been called to do. But that just wouldn't be true. Because she's done it before. Seven years after she was sexually assaulted by a family friend, Erica had a similar call. I remember sitting at home in my apartment on Telegraph and Channing when the NCIS, the Navy Criminal Investigation Service, came knocking on my door. And a federal agent, she said, a young girl had brought charges against this man and someone he had bragged to all those years ago about, about me thought I might be able to help. I remember feeling shame and panic and like I was in trouble, you know, like I had done something wrong. And, um, and I remember thinking at the time, I, the officer came into my living room. I can remember sitting with her and getting her water and we sat there and she told me about this case that was being brought and I listened and I pretty much said, I don't, I don't think I can help you, you know, and then I was like, well, fuck, yes, I am. You know, I have to. I, I remember, you know, staying for the, uh, staying for the verdict <laughs> and this girl and I walked into court holding hands together. And ultimately, my testimony wasn't enough. And he walked free. But I remember being there with this other girl, and we had each other, and we had our families, and we had our truths. And that had to be a defining moment. It really was. Yeah. Um, you know, of course, this is an odd way to say it, but, you know, it, it shaped who I am. And I, I love who I am and I'm so thankful for who I am and for all that brought me to this moment in time. You know, the process of sharing my story and acknowledging wrongdo wrongdoing has been such an important part of becoming who I am and healing. Look, you and I both know these conversations are hard, sometimes awkward, and they make us feel incredibly vulnerable. And why they're often done best face-to-face. -face. Here's Erica again. So when you're in the room with somebody, you don't hate them, you're not angry, but you can have a conversation and you can say, this is what happened and this is how I feel. This is what my experience was. This is what was wrong. This is what is wrong. And I think most of the time there isn't the space for the anger and the finger pointing and the shaming and ridiculing and blaming. That is all that social media seems to be. You know, somebody called the KPJAYI teacher's safe space Facebook page safe space. It's more like a firing squad. It didn't feel safe, you know. And so I, I had been very quiet on social media because I think that on social media and, and just on the web in general, because to me, that didn't feel like the space to use my voice. It felt like my voice was best used in real time in community with the people who actually made the effort to show up. It was an effort to get there, you know, and it was an open invitation to anyone, you know, and we were looking forward to welcoming whoever showed. And we knew that there were going to be different opinions and different experiences and different ideas. And we were really welcoming to that, you know, welcoming to whoever came. 
we have to be big enough to contain all of the paradox. And so that means inviting in a wide range of people. There was this podcast that I was listening to with a woman named Eula Biss, and she's a white woman talking about dismantling white supremacy and racism. And um, she says, you know, we have to give each other permission to just start somewhere. We're going to say the wrong things. We're going to fumble and bumble through these conversations, but we have to give ourselves permission to start somewhere. And I think about that with these conversations because I think a lot of us have been afraid to say the wrong thing, you know, to say victim when we should have said survivor or vice versa, you know, or we, we say, um, you know, for a time, I think many people have moved away from this, but for a time it was inappropriate adjustments instead of sexual assault and sexual abuse. You know, so I think so many of us have been afraid to say the wrong things and to be called out and shamed that we haven't said anything at all. And so I think that what's really important is that we give ourselves permission to begin the conversation and to fumble and bumble and to, to begin and to apologize when we need to and to ask more questions when we need to, but to begin, to begin that walk. I'd rather be with a friend Hitting on that sand And I'm done with that command Be here with me Hey everyone, you're listening to Erica Morton McGill and Peg Queen talk about kinship, a gathering of collective wisdom in the desert of Southern California and why Erica responded to this calling by circling up community in a shared reflective space. And in a similar spirit of bringing together yoga practitioners, Peg and I would like to invite you to a five-day yoga retreat set in the rugged beauty of Bozeman, Montana, where we will bring our attention on reconnecting back to nature, both outside and inside. Join us for a week of breathing, moving, chanting, and exploration. Go to ashangadispatch.com for more information on this workshop and others. Now, back to Erica and Peg. The social courage that I see rising up within the community, people willing to come together in kinship and in mutuality to really grapple with the discomfort and to be with each other vulnerably. The social courage that Erica just spoke of is when we deliberately behave in a way that we believe is noble and worthy, despite any repercussions we may suffer. So it's our teaspoon of power. And over the past few years, we've learned a lot about social courage. For example, in a 2017 study published online in the Journal of Positive Psychology, power distance was found to be a significant influencer. So groups where rank and position in the hierarchy come with special privileges, members in those groups are more likely to behave in a way that protects these privileges and therefore the structure itself. Sounds familiar, right? Perhaps another reason we've been so slow to change. 
Let's listen to Corey Sheffer and Pranadi Varshney discuss how this has shown up for them in both practice and teaching. I just never found it satisfying or appropriate that when I actually, you know, was confident and felt brave enough to ask questions that I was given answers like, well, that's just how it is. Or, you know, that's how they do it in Mysore or, you know, whatever these just very dismissive answers, um, you know, that have been just sort of circulating within, within the community. It's never sat right with me. I felt ostracized from the mainstream conventional community, Ashtanga community. And so I was ambivalent about walking into a group of perhaps authorized or, you know, formally authorized. Maybe some people have given up their authorization, you know, teachers who in the past, um, maybe not they themselves, but perhaps, you know, their friends or people they associate with or that generally like that demographic hasn't been so welcoming to me. And so I was very conscious of the fact that I might be, you know, walking into a room where I may not feel totally welcome. But then ultimately what it came down to was that I felt really called to be there. I felt like I have the opportunity right now to attend. And so I almost felt like I had a responsibility to be there. Like I had a responsibility to be the voice for those of us who have felt like we're illegitimate and felt like we've been disenfranchised. And because I knew Erica, I felt like, okay, there's going to be love there. If it wasn't for the relationship that I had with Erica, I don't know that I would have gone. <laughs> In fact, Erica and Spira would end up having countless conversations with people like Pranity, like me, who were interested. But we all said, I don't think I belong. You know, it just was such an eye opener to us. It's like, we, we knew this, right? This is why we were doing it because everybody felt ostracized. Everybody's felt alone. Everybody felt like they couldn't speak out and talk about these things. But that's who we want in our circle. And why Erica took great care to make sure that everyone who came felt safe to participate, including having outside facilitators from an olive branch there to help hold the space. It was important to have a neutral third party there for them to have a, a, a neutral, impartial opinion. And also then they were able to hold the bounds of the circle in a way that I think those of us really intimate with this practice could not have. I think that those of us who practice Ashtanga yoga and have been grappling with the sexual abuses and power abuses and infighting and articles and finger pointing that's been going on over the last couple of years, I think we're still... I think I'm moving towards more regulation. I think a lot of us are, but I think a lot of people have been quite dysregulated from that, you know, and, and, and it's hard then to show up in a circle and move and speak from your best, highest, most regulated, competent self. You're just not, you know, when you're in that space of anxiety and grief, it, you're not functioning at your best. You're too close. You're too close. One of the challenges of having these conversations is actually giving others the space to speak while we listen, which Corey Sheffer got to do a lot on that weekend as she'd shown up with laryngitis. Listen as she describes one of the most powerful moments for her that weekend, and it didn't require her to say a word. One moment, which I had to sit out because of my voice, but um, the part where 
everybody kind of partnered up and did active, you know, one person was speaking and one person was doing active listening. And I wish I had my journal because I just watched and I took notes. I was in tears watching the people listening. There was so much empathy and compassion and love and genuine listening going on in that room that it was just mind-blowing. People, you could tell there was so much care and so much connection and so much, I mean, they didn't even have to say it, but they were saying, I understand. And, and you're not alone. I feel the exact same way. And like, I've got you. That to me was like the most incredible, you know, 15 minutes of the weekend, just getting to watch that. And I mean, that's what I do my best to describe is, is that moment because it, it really did sort of just like sum the whole weekend up. I asked Spiro Antonopoulos and Greg Nardi if anything from the weekend surprised them. Spiro answers first. Well, I didn't expect to break into tears at all during the whole thing, and I broke into tears. Um, just because all the people came because it's people we care about. It's a community that we actually care about that cares. And that, you know, we can get lost on our yoga mat in our own little school or our own little home in the woods or in a big city when we're just practicing alone or with a small group of people. But to have people gathering, to have people coming from sometimes quite long distances like yourself and um, to have that sort of open, heartfelt uh, feeling and discussion at the root of all of what else was discussed, that somehow there was a, a sweetness to the whole thing. I mean, you read about that stuff and you do, I do meditations and I might put you know, my awareness at my solar plexus and imagine instead of looking through my mind, looking at the world and feeling, experiencing the world as a body and its sense organs that are feeling this from the heart. But to actually be bombarded with that was, was really sweet and um, was, the, was the best. It was just this incredibly healing weekend. Like, I think I went with this abstract curiosity, but really just allowed myself to like, get into the vibe that they created there or that was co-created there. And it was really healing. I didn't, you know, so we did practice without leadership. Uh, so as a Shanghai, we could practice in a group. Um, you could kind of practice in a way that was meaningful for you or not practice. Um, I think the instructions were if you want to sit in the middle of the circle and knit, that you could do that. <laughs> um, and that felt really lovely. And I think what surprised me was, you know, as I said, I, w- I had been struggling with this feeling of like lost community and this was like I wasn't sure I was going to be able to do that again like gather in community as as an Ashtangi um, in a way that fed me the way that it did when I had gone to Mysore in the past and I was just not in the teacher role at all and just with other practitioners and being a, a student and this totally gave me a new view on like what's possible Here's the truth. We need each other. Remember that study I mentioned earlier about what discourages social courage? Well, that same study 
found that there was an element that could serve as a buffer to the fears of exclusion and repercussions for speaking up. And that's high levels of social support. Because no one, no one likes to be alone. And why Corey Sheffer jumped at Erica's invitation to kinship. I mean, right when I got the email, really, like, there really wasn't, like, a process of decision-making. It was just like, of course I have to go to this. Like, not even really knowing maybe why or what I needed from it or what I could contribute. It was just like, I guess because I had been waiting for it to gather with what it seemed, um, other people who were in that same boat. And of course, being put on by Erica and Spiros, I knew the conversation was going to be powerful. I knew that the group um, was going to be honest. (laughs) And also, group was going to, I think, be like really embracing and really welcoming, which I found that everybody was. And I don't know that I, you know, I didn't go thinking that I was going to come out like feeling better or like having questions answered. I guess it was really just like, yeah, let's sit in a circle and just be honest. And let's just, let's just get this stuff up and out in the open. And I think that's what happened. I mean, at least through, you know, my experience. Greg Nardi agreed. There was no expectation. We were just going to meet in person without anybody being the expert, without anybody being the charismatic teacher at the front of the room. And we were just going to figure it out together. Not, not, and, and that wasn't, you know, there was no intention to come to any conclusions by the end of the weekend either. You know, it's just that we were going to sit down in community and, and talk. And, and that oftentimes can get lost online, right? Like everybody, you know, like, gets so polarized, Um, you know, everybody gets really entrenched in their positions. And this was a platform for the muddled middle to have a voice, right? This was just that wonderful opportunity to like, just come with your not knowing and, and sit in that discomfort together. And that I think was like, we don't really ever get that, you know, especially with this idea of like, you know, being experts or being teachers or being authorized, like there's this expectation that you have the answer, you know where to get it. And in my gut, I know that this is one of those situations where nobody has the answer. Nobody should have the answer. You know what I mean? Like something new is being born and we just have to be like present to it. You know, and that to me is what Kinship invited us to do. It was really beautiful. And now... I'd like to extend this kinship invitation to you. You can sign up at layoga.club backslash kinship, and Erica will then make sure that you're in the loop. Here's Erica again to share what's coming up next. The Practitioners Symposium, that's not an official title, just a coming together of practitioners and teachers for a couple of weeks where we can be in practice together a little bit, like we talked about earlier, where there's no set definition of what practice means to you. You can be with fellow practitioners, be with fellow teachers, and we'll have a little bit of structure uh, in the afternoons. Um, we're planning that in concert with Greg Nardi. And... 
we are developing a website with the content a little bit TBD, but uh, we're hoping to really have a, a space for people to come to find resources to connect with other practitioners and teachers. I have this vision of a guild where we're all sort of a part of this of this network and, and we can tap into that. And it's both virtual and it's in person. Again, we don't want to create another top-down structure, but a place where people can go and find tools, a place where people can go and find um, connection, a place where people can go and find the things that they're, that they're really curious about. So one of those things might be offering grievance procedures that other, other studios or other shalas have implemented. We talked about having a list of teachers that you can call on, you know, or having a chat room and we can have discussions about some of these bigger issues that we're talking about. So again, it's still a little bit in process, but I'm really envisioning this space where practitioners and teachers can come together and meet each other, both in person and online. Yeah. And this, I really, one of the aims is to be inclusive and wide and broad. What I keep coming back to and that keeps fueling me as I'm moving onward from kinship is the quote that I shared in my opening talk. There is no speaking truth to power when power holds all the cards, but there is a teaspoon of power in refusing to normalize that which was wrong and which continues to be wrong. And so in all of the decisions and all of the friendships and all of the movements that I'm making as I practice, as I teach, as I continue forming the guild and planning future gatherings and talking to you and talking to other curious practitioners and teachers, I get to carry a teaspoon of power with me wherever I go. I don't know. It's a lot more than a teaspoon. (laughs) Keep listening to the end for a snippet of the next episode where Spiro Antonopoulos and I will explore what kinship means beyond Me Too and even Ashtanga Yoga and in a more global sense. Again, if you want to be a part of kinship, and I hope you do, please sign up at layoga.club backslash kinship. Also, if you live in the Fort Lauderdale area, come to the Winter Gathering, February 15th, hosted by Greg Nardi and his Amayu cohorts. You can get more info at ashtangayogaworldwide.com. And I'll be doing some traveling this spring, and I'd love to see you and continue this conversation in person. I'll be in Los Gatos in March, followed by Dorset, Glasgow, and Amsterdam in April. Then back home in Bozeman, where Megan and I will host a five-day retreat in June, and David Kyle and I will hold our annual mountain yoga retreat in August. All of this is on the website. Visit ashtangadispatch.com. And a very special thank you to Mark Pilly, whose music you've been listening to. The song Be With Me is from his latest album, Acorns, which you can download at arcsong.net. That's A-R-K-Song.net. And just one more thing before you go. I want to say thank you for supporting me personally as I find my way with this podcast. Many of you have written me personal notes and even donated money towards equipment and such. And it just really means so much to me. So thank you. It's really nice to know that I'm not alone. 
And my song It sings on For all I know It's where I belong It's a world carrying song And my song Sings on for all I know. It's where I belong. Is the world carries on. Be here with me. The Ashtanga Dispatch Yoga Podcast is written, edited, produced, and hosted today by me, Peg Queen. The transcript for this episode can be found on our website, along with all the links mentioned. Just visit ashtangadispatch.com. Thanks for listening. Do you see politics related to what's happening in spiritual communities? Yes. I mean, I think the classic model, the one that we've, I grew up with, is that we leave our politics at the door and we go in and practice. And that's true and helpful in a lot of ways and situations. But at the moment when there's a lot of violence going on worldwide, when people are starving and homeless and all these things, and you can see how your spending for your spiritual endeavor is actually contributing either directly or indirectly towards inequalities and violence, it's hard to, and just simply from the non-dual perspective, when you let go of the ego and the, as a winner, as the, the, having the main stage of any story, when you realize it's a community of outliers that actually are part of the whole thing and are the whole thing, that it's not like I get a prize when I get to samadhi or something and bing, 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 I'm out of the program and win. And that's what my goal of yoga is. It's actually here and now. So, so I don't think that that's a viable way to consider the world, other trees and other beings in the world and what's going on uh, in a yoga room.